This week, I was just chatting to a friend of mine who's not yet a Christian, and he just shared with me something really interesting, and uh, I've been pondering it the last few days. He said, true story, a couple went back to B&Q to complain. They'd bought one of those tomato grow bags, and they'd said they took it home, and they'd been watering it and watering it, but no tomatoes had yet grown in it, and they thought they'd been sold a dud and would like a replacement. Just thought I'd pass that on to you. I thought there was something quite profound. You'll be thinking about grow bags now throughout the rest of the time. If you want to follow the reading that uh, I'm going to read to you, it's from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15, and reading from verse 21. And it's entitled in uh, my Bible, The Faith of a Canaanite Woman. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for your word. It is indeed a light to our path and a guide for our lives. And through the pages of your word, you speak and you take that word by your Holy Spirit and you make it live. And our prayer tonight is that you make this word live in our hearts. And as we just spend this time just thinking about what we've read, would you speak to our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen. One summer Sunday, a group of friends decided to visit a very famous church because they wanted to hear the preacher. 
The church was the Metropolitan Tabernacle. The preacher was going to be Charles Spurgeon. And if you don't know who he is, a great man of God. And um, called at times the Prince of Preachers. And in the 19th century was a great man of God. So they wanted to come and hear the man who had seen that congregation in that church grow from about 200 people to 10,000 people. The man who had equipped an army of students to go church planting right across the country, who founded a college that was later named after him called Spurgeon's College, uh, which both Edward and I had the privilege of attending. He also founded a charity for social action, which is still vibrant today. And he happened to die in January 1892 in a little French town called Monton, just on the Italian border, which really worth a visit if you've never been. The group of friends arrived early and they were greeted at the door by a big burly man who they assumed was one of the stewards who offered them a tour of the buildings, because the Metropolitan Tabernacle, if you've never been, is quite a building. And during the tour, he asked them if they would like to see the heating plant. Now, it doesn't translate well to probably our phraseology, but if, if in, I would probably said now, would you like to see the engine room of the church, which might give a clue. So they were a bit confused about this heating plant, and uh, intrigued, they said yes, and he led them down a flight of stairs, and he opened the door into a large room underneath the sanctuary, and there were 700 people all praying fervently for the service that was about to begin shortly upstairs. And then the steward introduced himself to the group, and he was, of course, you've guessed by now, the great man himself, Charles Spurgeon. Now, we know that every great move of God, every great work of God, can be traced back to God calling a people to pray. There is no revival that I've read about, there's no move of God that I've read about that you can't, when you read about the beginnings of it, find a group of people that have committed their lives to praying for a move of God to come whether it be the Welsh Revival, Hebridean Revival, or even um, this morning I was able to share a little bit of the story of this church. And I always show the pictures of Alice Benfield and folk of those years ago who prayed and prayed and prayed that this church would not close because Shipston had closed and Paxford had closed and Blockley had closed and they'd got down to six members here. And all that we have seen, certainly in the time I've been here, you can trace it back to faithful men and women who had a heart for prayer and were desperate to see God move. We all know that prayer is a key to seeing God move. Just a, a, a quote from uh, the Dean of Chester. He was uh, writing to someone in a um, sort of letters page. And um, it's about prayer. 
And he answers this man's question. I don't know what the question was. I've only got his quote. And he says, with respect, prayer is not simply about seeking divine help and intervention. It has more to do with being in tune with God's will by offering him adoration, confession, and thanksgiving. And on the basis of that, supplication is possible, but not for personal gain or to change God's mind, but to provide a channel through which his loving purposes for creation may become a reality. And I think that's that heart of prayer is, is tuning into God's heart and praying in God's will and God's kingdom and plans and purposes. We know that prayer is the key. But of course, it's easier to agree with the theory than to engage in the practice. Many Christians would admit that they find the discipline of persevering prayer difficult. We know it's difficult because it's a spiritual battleground. The devil hates it when the church of Jesus Christ really gets hold of prayer. I'm grateful for all the prayer warriors that the Lord raises up, those men and women who have that ministry of intercession. But there's something that happens when God moves in power that captivates people to pray. Spurgeon would say that if you want to see how popular the preacher was, you come on a Sunday morning. And his Sunday mornings with thousands of people, he said, if you want to see how popular Jesus is, you come to the prayer meeting. It's another thing to ponder. We're very familiar, I hope, with relational prayer. We've just done our fourth Alpha evening, and we do it on the subject of prayer, and, and we introduce Prayer is the way that we develop and keep that relationship with God. And, and it is a revelation to some people because for some people, prayer for them has just been, you ask God for stuff and when he doesn't give it to you, you get disappointed and get disillusioned. But when they begin to understand that prayer is actually a way that we can have a relationship with God, that he has made possible for us, that we can just talk with him, something catches in their spirit because they're made for a relationship with God. And we know that if relationship, in any, in any uh, relationship, if communication breaks down, the relationship obviously breaks down at some point. But the passage that I wanted us just to have a look at tonight is something slightly different. If I was to ask you a question of this kind of theme, can you identify a time in your Christian life when you grew the most? When you could sense that yourself, that you grew in your spirit and your faith levels rose, could you identify that time? Was it when you were a brand new Christian and all was new? Or was, it, or was it a time when you dug deep and you had to dig deep into God and you had to persevere? And my hunch is this, that it is in those times that actually we grow in our depth of faith. Because we learn what it is to rely on God more and more and more. 
And this passage that we read together encourages us to persevere in prayer, especially if we feel that our prayers are unanswered. Matthew, the gospel writer, wants us to understand, as Spurgeon did and declared later in life, he said these words, that even if the Lord offered him everything he wanted without the need for persevering prayer, he would refuse it for the blessing of prayer itself. Even if the Lord offered him everything he wanted without the need for persevering prayer, he would refuse it. See, there's a mark of the man. He would refuse it for the blessing that he received in prayer. His relationship with God thrived as he threw himself upon the Lord. Back to the story. Jesus is traveling north. It's as far north, I think, as he gets into the region of Tyre and Sidon. That's modern-day Lebanon. Okay? And he's there on retreat. He's withdrawn. Perhaps it's to get away from the crowds that were always around him. I love it when you read of Jesus when in Mark 1 and the disciples say to him, everyone's looking for you. And so he says, let's go somewhere else. Maybe it's to have some time away from the Pharisees who were out to trap him. Maybe it was time that he needed just with the disciples. So he's withdrawn far north. And we're told that even there, a woman, a Canaanite woman, a Gentile, came to him crying out for his help. And how she addressed Jesus is interesting too. She comes crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. I have no idea how she knew that. To address Jesus in that way, a Gentile, Canaanite. But she comes with this deep need. My daughter is demon possessed. And did you notice how Jesus answered? That first time. Did it, did it not strike a chord with you? I've read this passage lots of times. And just this week, as I've read it over and over and over again, it just struck me. Jesus didn't say a word. He didn't say a word. Which we would find that quite unusual. If, 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 you know, if that's ever happened to you and you've cried out to someone and they've just... Would you say they blanked me? They ignored me. Nothing. Maybe there was an awkward silence, and the disciples, when the awkward silences come, and uh, it's not told that it's Peter, but it's all of them, they step in to that silence and urge Jesus, send her away. We've come on retreat. We're having this lovely time, Jesus. This woman's spoiling everything. Send her away. She keeps crying out after us. But she doesn't leave. 
Some people, I'm sure, would have gone away in a strop by now. <laughs> she could have left at that moment. And she could have just said, well, that man Jesus is not interested. But she doesn't. She presses in. She perseveres. But not only does Jesus not say a word, the next time he answers, he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. It's clear that Jesus' focus at that time is on Israel. And she's a Gentile. A Canaanite woman. And again, she could have left at that moment, but she doesn't. What does she do? She humbles herself and falls at the feet of Jesus and says, Lord, help me. Surely it's got to get good now. What's Jesus going to say next? Jesus says, it's not right to take the children's food and toss it to the dogs. Now, you might be thinking, cute little, you know, puppy, you know. No, we're, we're thinking, you know, mangy, despised. And I love it the way this NIV translates it. Her reply. Yes, it is, Lord. Wow. Jesus says it's not right to take the children's food and toss it to the dogs. She says, yes, it is, Lord. Because even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And then Jesus says, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And at that moment, her daughter was healed. Now, she would have only known that when she got back. So obviously, Mike and Matthew's writing this with the benefit of the hindsight that news got back. That at the very moment, Jesus said that. Her daughter was healed. The demon left her. Imagine that conversation when she gets home. But as I pondered this this week and uh, was thinking about this problem of unanswered prayer, because I'm probably not going out on a limb here, but there may be many of us even here tonight who are holding on to prayers that God has not yet seemingly answered. Imagine for a moment if God answered all your prayers immediately. Do you think we would ever learn true humility? The woman came and fell at his feet, cried out to him. 
Again, Spurgeon once said, our prayers are an inventory of our needs, a catalogue of necessities, an exposure of our heart and our secret wounds, and a revelation of our hidden poverty. That's when prayer gets really real. And this woman, instead of turning away, grows in faith, grows in persistence. And in her persistence, she displays a humble spirit that heaven cannot ignore. Imagine if God answered all your prayers immediately. Do you think you would grow quicker in faith or not? Would you go, grow deeper in trust and depth and persistence? Would the fruit of the Spirit grow quicker if every time you prayed, there it was? Now, when on Alpha we asked all those questions that we do get asked, does God answer prayer? And we say, yes, always God answers prayer. With a yes, or a no, or a not yet. And I've added to the list on my table. I keep going down the list. Because I know sometimes he asks of me when I pray, are you really asking for that? Are you really asking for that? And sometimes he comes back to me and he says, what are you going to do about it? And sometimes I sense he says, how much does this really mean to you? Because there are times when it seems that Jesus is silent. I do believe that this persistence in prayer is something that Jesus wants us to grow in. That question I asked very early on, can you remember the times when you grew the most as a Christian, when your faith grew? It will often be those times when you had to dig deep and press in. when we really had to rely and trust. Because we all know the difference between prayer and desperate prayer. Desperate prayer. This woman was desperate. And there's a big difference. When we grapple in prayer, like this woman who just wouldn't let go, One of the commentators on this passage says it's perhaps it's part of our training as Christians for what is to come when we will rule with Jesus in the age to come. Imagine for a moment if all your prayers were just answered immediately. This woman, like another Gentile that we're told of 
in the scriptures in uh, chapter 8. The centurion exhibits a faith that honors God and that God honors. Jesus marks it out. And there are other passages we could read where Jesus encourages us to go on asking, go on seeking, going on knocking at the door. So in this story, this woman comes to Jesus on behalf of her daughter, who is demon-possessed. Yet through her encounter with Jesus, through her persistence in faith, she discovers something deeper. Imagine for a moment she'd said from that first question, and Jesus said, yes, your daughter's healed. She'd have left. And great, her daughter would have been healed. But she would have not had the depth of encounter with Jesus that she did have. So when we ask for a deeper encounter with Jesus, it comes with a cost. Are we really serious about that? Sometimes what we perceive as unanswered prayer do not necessarily mean that God has refused our request. It may mean that he has something far greater to give while we persist. Peter, in his first letter, writes these words. When trials come, so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, that faith may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. That phrase, that our faith may be proved genuine. It's only when this Canaanite woman had fought her way through delay and disappointment that Jesus praises her faith and heals her daughter. And there is something here for us all to learn in our relationship with God, in our persistence in prayer. And whether it's just a personal thing that we may learn about the situations that we carry in our hearts that we persistently pray about, or as a church, as we consistently, persistently cry out to God. That as we do so, there will be a depth to our faith. I don't think I ever grew closer to God when everything just was so great. I think we grow when we have to press into God. We're going to pray and uh, spend a few minutes just quietly for a time and bring our own prayers quietly, not out loud, but the things that we're persisting in. And maybe 
we've let go of some of them. But maybe just in the quietness, we bring them back to the Lord. Should we do that? Then in a few minutes, I'll uh, close with a prayer that uh, is part of the um, evening office of the Northumbria community. I pray it every night as part of a set prayer. But let's pray together.